from KMOX Sports. Okay, boys, here we go. Welcome to the Great Bar Sports Open Line. Those bit swings, and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Great Bar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Here we go. Now, Matt Pauley on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, man, let's get going here. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Let's go. On a Wednesday evening, we do welcome you into another edition of Sports Open Line, a Gray Bar Sports Open Line right here on KMOX as we take you till 8 o'clock this evening, a full two-hour edition of the program, back-to-back two-hour editions as we'll be with you again coming up tomorrow evening. We've got quite the show coming up tonight in about uh, 10 minutes or so. Uh, we are going to talk Missouri football as they get set to open up their season tomorrow evening. They are going to uh, play host to South Dakota in Columbia. Expectations pretty high for the Tigers. Should they be high? What What's the reasonable you know, expectation? What should uh, what should this team be doing this year? We'll talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes. Uh, give you the opportunity to react to what the Cardinals have done the last couple days. I always tell you, when we do the extra inning show after weekday day games, we don't have as much of an opportunity to take phone calls, text messages, and tweets. So I, will, I always want to give you the opportunity to give your thoughts on the team and the win and everything going on. So uh, we'll open up the phone line and the text line and everything uh, coming up at uh, 6.35. So in about 25 minutes from now, if you want to talk Cardinals baseball after another walk-off win for them, uh, we'll give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, next hour We've got a couple interviews. Nate Gatter is going to join us just after 7 o'clock. We'll look ahead to uh, City SC. They are in action tonight, one of these uh, midweek matchups, as they play host uh, to FC Dallas, and that's going to be over on our sister station, Y98. And uh, Coach Anthony Beck from the St. Louis Battlehawks, he's going to join us at about 7.20. I got the chance to uh, catch up with him. He was at a Cardinals game just a few days ago, and we'll play the interview that uh, I had with him. But we will start with Cardinals baseball. I mentioned this during the extra inning show, but I think it is absolutely worth repeating. We know that this is a Cardinals team that bluntly isn't competing for anything this year. The accomplishments of what they can do from a team perspective are very limited. They can try to not have the worst record in the division. They can try to, you know, move up the standings a little bit in the National League composite rankings, you know, d- d- divisional standings and everything. But basically, from a team standpoint, from a record standpoint, I guess some might say there would be an outside chance of them trying to flirt with 500. Well, they're already at 76 wins. So it would take quite the run from them for them to even get to that point. They certainly appear to be on a road that is going to result in a sub-500 record. So what we have talked about a lot recently is watching the individual performances of some players. Some players, the individual performances matter. We've talked a lot about the pitching, whether it's Dakota Hudson, whether it's Zach Thompson, whether it's Matthew Liberator, those guys getting the opportunity to be in the starting rotation and to see what they can do with it over a two-month or so period. There is value in that. There is value in watching young players continue to develop. We've seen... I think we've seen steps forward from Mason Wynn. At some point, he'll take a step back because pitchers are going to start doing some things to him that they probably have never done to him before, and he's going to have to adjust to that. But 
We saw Jordan Walker today, and Walker had really been struggling, really been struggling from an offensive standpoint really since about July 1st. And he's on a solid run, and that wrapped up with him going 4-for-4 four four today and just absolutely destroying a pitch that he hit for a home run uh, that was pretty darn impressive to see. Just the the prodigious power that you get out of a Jordan Walker is something. When he is able to lift the ball, hit it solidly like he did today, that is something. And that's one of the reasons that so many people are excited about what he is going to uh, continue to develop into. So watching these individual performances, it absolutely is important as well. But the other thing, and I'm, I'm as a Cardinal fan, as a baseball fan, even if you have come to the point of realizing that the team isn't really competing for anything this year, you still want to have good moments. You still want to have enjoyable moments. You still want to have memorable moments. And to see Tommy Edmond get the hit yesterday and just everything that went along with it, the Richie Palacios bunt and uh, the way that inning played out, and then, what, 16 hours later or whatever it was, they're in the ninth inning today, bottom of the ninth. They're down by a run. Josh Hader is on the mound once again, and it's again Tommy Edmond at the plate, and this time he hits a dinger, and he flips a one-run deficit into a one-run win in walk-off fashion. Those are really good moments, and I get that there's disappointment about this team. I'm not trying to run away from that disappointment, but there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good moments. Yeah, I I sent out a tweet today, and I I just took the the skyline. It was KMOX day at the ballpark today. The weather was perfect. The the sky was perfect with the clouds and everything. And I just I sat down in my seat in the press box, and I just looked out towards the arch, and I saw this amazing backdrop, one of the best backdrops you're going to see in baseball. And I do this a lot, probably once a homestand. I snap a picture before the game gets started, and I, I just tweet it out because I, lo- I love that Uh, That display, I love that backdrop. I love being able to see it. It's something that never gets old to me, and I like tweeting out those uh, pictures. And of course, yeah, attendance hasn't been great lately. We know that nobody's nobody's lying about that. the 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 numbers are down, and we're seeing a lot more empty seats in Bush Stadium than we are used to seeing. That is a one hundred percent cold hard fact. I sent out that photo because I love how much that backdrop looks and then, of course, people are going to respond to it about the open seats. And all I can think about is if you're going to sit there, you know, somebody tweeted back at me that, you know, they, they're they not going to spend their time watching a listless baseball team. I don't remember exactly the word that they used. Uh, but they're not going to – basically they were saying they were not going to waste their time watching this Cardinals team. And my response to that is the way it ended yesterday, the way it ended today – I don't think anybody felt like they were wasting their time watching the Cardinals. That was a lot of fun the way these last two games uh, came to an end. So uh, more about the Cardinals coming up later on in the program. We will shift gears, talk some Mizzou football in just a moment. Don't go anywhere as we roll on with a Gray Bar Sports Open Line right here on KMOX. This is America's Sports Voice, KMOX.
Graybar Sports Open Line rolls on right here on KMOX. The Missouri football team opens up their season tomorrow night at home. They welcome in South Dakota. And right now we're very happy to be able to go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line, welcoming onto the program for the first time. He uh, covers the Tigers for the Columbia Daily Tribune. He is Chris Kwasinski. You can follow him on Twitter at OchoK underscore. Chris, thanks so much for taking some time with us today. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing all right. Uh, you're, you're in your first year covering uh, this Tigers beat, and I know not a whole lot has happened in terms of games as things are now getting started, but what's just your your general feelings, your general takeaway of the state of Missouri athletics as you go into your first uh, full academic year covering the team? Well, this is uh, year three for me, actually. Oh, so, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're all good. Uh, I, I kind of do some behind-the-scenes stuff, but I, uh, I'm still pretty active day-to-day on everything, but uh, you know, it's to, to answer your question, it's been interesting. It's been interesting to see this team kind of develop the last three years. And uh, there's been a lot that happens behind the scenes and uh, a, a lot of changes that we've been seeing and a lot of changes that have been made. Uh, we talk about offensive coordinator coming to town, and that's not something I honestly expected to see when I first took over uh, my own place on this beat a couple of years ago. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz giving up play calling was a big deal. And, yeah. Uh, those are the kinds of moves you got to make when you know you're sitting there at just about 500. The the expectations for this team are higher. At the same time, you're playing in the SEC and you're Mizzou, and it's so hard to you can be you can be a better football team, but it doesn't always show in the wins and losses. And from my perspective, it feels like this is the year where it really matters about being better and getting more wins. Is that a correct assessment? I, I think you're spot on with that. It's obviously it's been tough the last couple of years. Mizzou's in a uh, a very interesting division with the SEC. I know divisions are going to be moot point next year with everything changing, all the schedules shifting up. But uh, right now, Mizzou's in a, in a division in the SEC where it has Georgia, it has Florida, uh, has a lot of different uh, – Tennessee, another one that, that just schematically is a terrible mismatch for Mizzou. And you look at how much this team has taken strides over the last – not just a year, but the year before uh, – They've made strides on defense, one of the best defensive teams in the SEC. They're trying to prove that they're one of the best defensive teams in the nation this year. Offensively, they have an offensive line that struggled mightily last year. They went out and added key positions and uh, have have kind of coached up some of the younger guys that they have to fill those spots. And it's about figuring out what they need to do to win. Uh, Like I said before, uh, Eli Drinkwitz giving up play calling was one of those, you know, the results of that line of thinking. And, it's it's hard to see this team not taking a step forward this year, especially with all the strides. Uh, not only that, but you look around their their division of the SEC, a lot of the other teams where they're going with it. Uh, it it's it's hard to see this team not taking a step. In your most recent piece, people can read it, uh, ColumbiaTribune.com. You talk specifically about the defense and how they have adopted the uh, death row defense name. I love the fact that you kind of went through the history of other teams that have called themselves the death row defense. I always say, if you give yourself a nickname, you got to follow that up. You got to be good. You can't stink and have a nickname. Uh, Is this defense ready to go? Can they live up to, to that nickname? Yeah, unless you're a cornerback giving yourself the nickname Toast, I don't think you can live up to uh, a bad nickname, right? But I honestly think they can. Um, I mean, when you look at the the pieces that this defense has, uh, you you hear the NFL aspirations and the the mock drafts and all that stuff, naming guys like Darius Robertson, Chris Abram-Strain as two NFL-ready guys that Mizzou has. 
I, I, you can take that a step further, honestly. You can take that a step further when you look at Ennis Rakestraw, uh, Abrams Reigns' uh, cornerback partner across the way. They, the both of them combined for 26 pass breakups this year. They obviously need to turn a few of those into interceptions, but you know, if you're breaking up passes, that just means you're a half step behind, and it's about getting that half step further. And this linebacking core has a lot of great players. Uh, Tyron Hopper is a guy that blew on to the scene uh, last year against Louisiana Tech. We started to realize this this guy might have something. Wow, this is this guy's really good. So uh, when we start to see the pieces come together, last year it was one of those one of those points where you realize they've got something. But now you got to take that something that people know is good. They know it's a good defense, and you got to make sure you take a step forward get better, but also kind of prove to the point that, hey, we can be as good as last year, if not better. We live in a world where college football depth charts don't mean a whole lot of anything. We see a whole lot of or designations, even though it's in the uh, official game notes, they'll tell you that the depth chart is unofficial. That being said, is there anything that jumps out at you about the you know quote-unquote unofficial depth chart heading into tomorrow night's game? Honestly, when I was looking at the tight end position, that was a Kind of an issue position last year for Mizzou. They were trying to find a guy that would stick. Uh, they had uh, Kibat Chepertor was there for a while as an experienced guy, but he was more of a blocker. Uh, Tyler Stevens transferred in from Buffalo, uh, had some issues uh, with ball security at the beginning of the season, but kind of came on later in the year. Uh, but this year, when you look at that position, there's four oars. Yeah. You know, there's, <laughs> you think they're building a boat with all the oars they got there, but I mean, <laughs> uh, when it turns around, they, uh, Tyler Stevens is at the top of the depth chart, but there's also Max Wishner, who's taken a lot of strides in camp. We've heard a lot about him the last couple of weeks. Uh, Brett Norfleet is there. He's a, uh, that's a St. Louis guy. He's a really good tight end, but he's coming in as a freshman. He's already made that headway to get mentioned in that conversation. Same with Jordan Harris. He's a, a young guy, a guy that hasn't played much football, but has the physical specs. To, you look at him and say, hey, if you can coach him up and uh, you know, teach him how to catch football, how to block properly, you've got something because he's got the physical attributes uh, uh, to do that. Uh, that I feel like was something we were going to see maybe week three, week four, seeing guys like Norfleet and Harris work their way into the lineup. But if it's week one, we might see Brett Norfleet starting tight end come week four this time. I mean, that was kind of something that shocked me, but also is kind of indicative of how the staff is trying to figure out what was been a problem position last year. Have you ever seen four players all separated by oars on a depth chart? I can't say that I have, honestly, especially at tight end, too, where, you know, usually you have one or two guys that kind of separate themselves from the back. Uh, Luther Burden, uh, a lot of focus on him. Just what what are the expectations for him going into this season, and what is that next step forward for him? Ah, man, it's it's interesting because last year he was, I think he was playing one of the outside receiver positions. He came on, and uh, he kind of came to the point where, I think it was against Vanderbilt, where, I he caught an outside pass, a little screen, and I realized, well, there's three or four guys right there. They kind of mark it down in my notes, the you know what kind of place he's catching, and then I look up and he's going down the sidelines for a touchdown. I mean, this is a dude that has the ability to make every kind of play possible. He showed that he can score touchdowns. He showed that he uh, puts out for Mizzou. I mean, all the time. I mean, this is a guy that really takes pride in where he plays, and you're putting him in the slot position this year, where uh, Mizzou had a really good success. Uh, making Dominic Love into a great receiver in the slot. Now you're giving it to Luther Burden, who has the ability to to do plenty of things, make plenty of plays, not just in the wildcat, but uh, jet sweeps. I mean, you're talking different route trees that he's learning. The the sky's the limit for for a player like that. And uh, made a bold prediction last week that I think he's a Blednikoff Award finalist this year, just because if you put him in the right position, you give him a year to understand the speed of college football, 
And if you can solidify the quarterback position behind him, I think you've got one of the best receivers in the SEC, let alone the nation. So the old adage is if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, but Missouri's kind of going all in on, on having two guys who can play for them. It's one thing to do that against South Dakota. It's another thing to do that as the season goes along. What's going to happen at the quarterback position moving forward? I think they're going to they're settle it. I think Drinkwitz has got his eye on, hey, well, we're going to see how these guys do in live action. Uh, he mentioned it a couple of times during camp. It's it's easy to kind of look at what you did last year and say, well, you need to have one guy. You need to have a dude that's solidified in the position. But it's not that simple, and I don't think it's really that simple this year, too, when you've got two really, uh, really talented quarterbacks that could honestly start a ton of other programs across the, the country, too. Sam Horn being a four-star guy, we talked a lot, or heard a lot about how he's, uh, he's just taking strides in camp. And I think the thing that Drinkwood said the other day, which – kind of plays in my mind is that no quarterback played themselves out of the competition and which tells you all you need to know about how uh, this this program views Brady Cook and Sam Horn uh, but eventually these two games uh, maybe even after this first game will tell us all we need to know about how you know where the quarterback position is progressing and it's going to eventually lead to one guy taking over the reins and kind of going from there uh, I don't see uh, Eli Drinkwitz taking a page out of Steve Sprayer's book I think that's a little I think that's a little too far down the line, and uh, but but when, when it comes to whoever has the best control of the offense, but most importantly, whoever scores the most touchdowns, I think is going to be the guy. Okay, so Cook's a guy who started all 13 games last year. You mentioned Horn, former four-star prospect. If you're living in a world where maybe Horn doesn't get you as many wins early on, but he get, makes you a better team later, for some teams, maybe they go down that path. But because of what we talked about earlier, where every win is so very important for Missouri, do they have to go the route no matter what that's going to result in more wins at the moment? I think that's I think that's the best path forward. Uh, and it, it's also one of those it's you're, you're trying to consider plenty of factors. And uh, one of the factors that I don't think people enough really consider enough is that Brady cook is playing this year, fully healthy last year. I'm thinking around the Kansas state game, he injured his shoulder and he was playing the rest of the season hurt. And that's, that's hard, especially for a guy that was going up against some really good teams. And when you have a completely healthy Brady cook, guy who has an understanding of the offense, understanding of what it means to be a uh, Mizzou Tiger, guy that dreamed of that his entire life. It, you take that, that uh, I guess, that excitement, and you run with it, and you see how far it can go. And he, he won games last year by you know, using his legs, by showing that he has the ability and the athleticism to, to move the chains. And uh, But it, it's kind of hard to go back and forth and say, well, you want to play the young guy to get him experience because that's something that Sam really did need. He talked uh, early, uh, I think before camp started, we sat down with him and basically told me, hey, you know, it's it's kind of tough not getting that many reps. It's tough not getting out there and seeing the field when those kinds of reps are what prepare you for games. And uh, he, he saw a little bit of time against New Mexico State, but that wasn't such a blowout that it, it was hard to get him consistent drives, consistent reps after that too. And uh, but, but I think he's ready for it now. You know, he talked about uh, getting the ability to pitch for the Tigers baseball team, how that helped him kind of build some confidence. And if he's a confident guy, if he has the ability to do it, uh, it just comes down to the coaching staff and really what they see in, in him and how he can lead the team. I also think it comes down to whoever grasps Kirby Moore's offense better, too. And like I said before, it leads him to touchdown. Final question for uh, Chris Kwasinski, covers the Tigers for the uh, Columbia Daily Tribune. It's a South Dakota team that 
doesn't look like on paper that they'll give them much of a run. I know some of these FCS teams do, but even South Dakota wasn't especially good last year. They haven't had a really good season uh, in, in quite some time. Is there any reason to believe that this is a Coyotes team that can challenge the Tigers at all? See, you want to say you want to say no. There's there's no reason to believe, but you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, college football, where you can kind of dream up the craziest upsets and stuff, just kind of happens. But uh, I I think if Mizzou puts its best foot forward tomorrow, it puts you know just does what it's been practicing, everything that it's done. It's a vastly superior team. It's a more deep team. Uh, it's a more talented team. Even if you just give the ball to Luther Burden twenty times in a row, odds are he's going to score a touchdown just because he's that much better than most of the players South Dakota has. It's not knocking against South Dakota either. That's just how good players like Luther Burden are. Uh, if Mizzou goes out there and executes his game plan, even to a mediocre level, I think they still beat them pretty handily. It's to the point where the South Dakota team has got two new coordinators, I believe, especially one new offensive coordinator. So there's still a little bit of that install, uh, especially in a live game setting that's coming on there. That's interesting to watch. That's uh, something I think the defense is going to take advantage of. He is Chris Kwasinski. He covers the Tigers for the Columbia Daily Tribune. You follow him on Twitter at OchoK underscore. Chris, thank you so much for taking uh, some time with us, and hopefully we can get you back on in the future. Sounds like a plan. I'll be here. All right, very good. That's Chris Kwasinski joining us uh, via the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. We'll take a break. Have more in just a moment. If you want to talk Cardinals baseball, we'll open the phone lines for you at 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can also uh, tweet at me if you'd like, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. We're back with more in just a moment. It's Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes mid swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it right here on the Graybar Sports Open Line here on KMOX. We are taking you up until 8 o'clock this evening, a full two-hour edition of the program because the Cardinals played day baseball today. Always try to do this on days that they play day baseball because on the extra inning show, we don't have as much time for phone calls and text messages and tweets. If you want to chime in on the Cardinals, this is your opportunity to do so. You can call, text, or tweet. If you call, it's 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900. Or if you want to uh, tweet at me, it's at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. How are you feeling about the Cardinals? How much did you enjoy the last couple of days? Uh, in a season where they're not playing for much, at the very least, you're able to get some enjoyment with a couple walk-off victories. Tommy Edmond yesterday uh, came up with the walk-off single there in the 10th inning, and then today it's Edmond again as he hits the walk-off home run. Yeah, I was I was looking at Josh Hader's numbers yesterday before he came in, and I hadn't really been paying attention. I knew he was pitching well this season, but I hadn't been really paying attention to what he was doing this year, and I didn't realize how good his numbers are, and I think the world uh, of Josh Hader. So coming into yesterday's game, his ERA was .78, and... I thought, wow, that's and then you look at his game by game and you see there's been a lot of consistency. And I was in Milwaukee for a good number of years doing Brewers post game, and I was there when Hader was there. And Hader always goes through a period every year. 
And there's nothing. This is this is gonna sound like I'm putting him down. I'm not. I'm really not because I, I think so much of him as a pitcher, and I think he's one of the best relief pitchers walking the face of the earth. But he always goes through a period. It's like one to two weeks every single year where he just kind of loses it, gives up a bunch of home runs, gives up a bunch of runs, has a few blown saves, and it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And then as quickly as it came, it goes away once again. And he hadn't really had any moments like that this year. In fact, giving up runs in back-to-back games yesterday and today, it was the first time all season long that he had given up back to games and uh, runs in back-to-back games. He has given up so few runs, we can name the games he's given up runs in. He gave up a run on April 11th. He gave up a run on May 7th. He gave up a run on May 10th. He gave up a run on July 16th. And then he gave up runs here uh, on August 29th and August 30th. I think I actually misspoke. There was one period uh, where he gave up uh, runs and back-to-back outings in early May. So just the second time this year uh, that that's happened. But the point remains the same. He's been really good and really consistent and had a sub-1 ERA prior to what happened yesterday and today. So he just gets into that, and I would I would watch what he does for the next week or so when he gets the opportunities to pitch because for whatever reason, he'll just get into a little bit of a rut. He'll start giving up home runs, and then he gets out of it, and the Cardinals may have caught him at the exact right time. Let's go to the phones at 314-436-7900. Jack has given us a call. Hey, Jack, you are on Sports Open Line. Hey, Jack, we need you to turn your radio down. Uh, yes, I was just calling in on regarding a uh, couple comments about the Cardinals. Um, basically, it's just very Jack, Jack, you got to turn your radio down, guy. Oh, okay. It's very disappointing on what's transpiring with the organization and the team. Um, the ERA of all these pitchers is so astronomically high. The disarray totally. Um, I listened to John Mosaylak at 11:30 on Sunday. You know, and it's like there's always excuses and excuses. They knew they needed pitching last year, and they never went out to obtain it. Um, and everything just looks a total mess. Um, they couldn't score any runs the last four or five games. Um, but the key element. Is, is how can they be complacent and content? And I know you can't have a winning year every year, but three weeks ago they were only nine games out. Now they're like 20 games under 500. There's no excuse for any of what is transpiring, and it just doesn't make a bit of sense. And listening to Mazalak every week, it's like, oh, we're doing good, we're complacent, we're – finding this niche or that, but to me, it's just a lost cause. Thank you. Yeah, Jack, I I guess a few things I would say in response to that. First off, I think John Mosellock has worn the mistakes that led to this season. I think he has said over and over and over, I've been in rooms with him where he has said this. So uh, I I can't tell you word for word what he says every Sunday morning uh, when he's on with 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 Tom Ackerman and what you're specifically making reference to. 
Uh, but but I hear those conversations. I'm in. He speaks with the media a fair amount of times uh, during. You know, a lot of times when a homestand is opening up, he'll host a, uh, a media session. He wasn't doing that quite as much during kind of the uh, the meaty part of the season, but he's done that uh, a couple times here over the last month or so. And I hear him say, "Look, they're they." They didn't do the the moves that they made and the lack of moves that they didn't make. and Everything they did in the offseason didn't work, and they have to kind of go back to the drawing board. And they've talked about philosophies, the philosophies that they have to change. Maybe they did not account for the rule changes quite as much on how it was going to impact pitching when it comes to a pitch-to-contact team. Uh, But I... um, Look, we th- there is there's culpability with John Mozeliak. At the end of the day, this roster, at least I, I don't judge anything that's happened with this team really since the trade deadline because at that point uh, it shifted from being about this year to being about future years. But if you want to judge the team on even who they were prior to the trade deadline, um, yeah, I, I think I think they have acknowledged the mistakes that were made. And that they want to look at things a little bit differently moving forward. Now, you can say that. The next question is, are you going to follow through with it? And we'll have to wait and see this offseason. If if it, if they have a very quiet offseason, I think the criticism that would potentially go their way would be incredibly warranted because the words that have come out of the mouth of John Mozeliak have indicated that they are making changes, and they are making changes in terms of what they're going to bring in, multiple pitchers for next season, and also the way that they maybe evaluate players and the way that they go about some of their organizational philosophies. Those things might need to change a bit as well, and I expect those things to change. 314-436-7900. If you're on hold, we'll get to you in just a moment. This is kind of our uh, extra innings portion of a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. We're back with more in just a moment right here on KMOX. The Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Those bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Back at it here on a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. Have you till 8 o'clock starting to wrap up hour number one. We're talking Cardinals baseball after another walk-off win today. Tommy Edmond doing it for a second day in a row. Today, he does it with a two-run home run. If you want to chime in on the Cardinals, we have that opportunity for you. 314-436-7900. 314-436-7900. That's how you call. That's how you text. You can tweet at me, at Matt Pauley on air. Let's welcome Marty onto the program. Hey, Marty, you're on Sports Open Line. Hi, how are you? Doing all right. I was at the game today, and in the first couple of innings, I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> But our pitcher settled down and held him, and then we let him get a run. But Edmonds did his thing again. And uh, I coached high school and college for almost 30 years, and there's not a game that we had, win or lose, that somebody didn't complain. It's natural. I don't like it. I try not to do it. I have been guilty of doing it sometimes, but then I stop and think when I was in the position, you cannot let it get to you. And uh, people have to consider if it was them in that situation, how would they react to it? 
our Cardinals are a really good group of guys. We've, you know, we've killed our uh, relief pitchers in the first half when we couldn't get anybody go to go more than five innings as a starter. But you have to live with that. And you make adjustments. And uh, I went, as I said, I've been to 20 games already this year, and I have several left, and I will be in the stadium. Marty, appreciate the phone call and, and certainly your thoughts on what's going on with this team. Yeah, I, I keep thinking, like, what could have changed this year for this team to be in a better spot? And the number one thing for me, and I've said this over and over and over again, is if they just would have won the vast majority of games where they had a lead going to the seventh and if they didn't have as many blown saves this year, I feel like it would have been a completely different world. They would have been in it. The trade deadline may have been buyers, not sellers. It just would have been very different. And actually, I was talking with Kevin Wheeler today. It was KMOX Day at the ballpark, and a lot of uh, us KMOX folks were all hanging out together. And I was talking with Kevin Wheeler a little bit, and the topic did get brought up about how much do you blame the success of the relief pitching upon the fact that relief pitching was so overused as you just weren't getting much length out of starting pitchers. And I I do think there's something to that. I do think that when you are just running through your relief pitchers like no other, their effectiveness is going to wane, and maybe there's a few losses on there that you could, you know, Go back if you if you reverse domino it, you're going to see that uh, it started with the overuse. But I do think that it would have been really nice. It would have been really nice if this team would have gone in the season with some more established relief pitchers who could cover those final three innings. And I feel like usage or not, it would have been a different season with a different group of back-end relief pitchers. One hour down, one more to go. Nate Gatter and Anthony Beck join us in the second hour. It's a Gray Bar Sports Open line right here on KMOX. KMOX.